All right. Welcome back, Pastor Joy, too. <laughs> Good to have you back. Well, could be back up, running a little behind today, but we'll get going. Uh, turn with me, if you will, once again to Psalm 139, and we'll continue to look at that wonderful psalm. We began last week. Let's ran back. We began last week looking at verses one through six of this encouraging psalm, Psalm of David. And we will try to finish it today, although we'll have to uh, really move. But look at these truths that are so comforting to us and uh, yeah it was just ringing a little bit there that's better that's great and as we started to look at last time we saw that this psalm is intensely personal it is intensely personal we see throughout it the characteristics these attributes these incommunicable attributes of God that are those, the, those characteristics and qualities that only he possessed, that only belong to him. They belong to him and him alone. We see God's omniscience in verses 1 through 6. We see God's omnipresence in verses 7 through 12, and we see God's omnipotence 13 through 18. As we see God's attributes throughout this psalm, it is important not to read the psalm and just say, oh, there's God's attributes, but uh, again, it's intensely personal, and David purposely relates them to how they have impacted his life. So last week, as we looked at those verses 1 through 6, his Quick reminder, we saw God's omniscience, that he's all-knowing, that he has full, complete knowledge of everything and everyone, all of his creation. And as David describes how this impacted him, so we too can say the same thing. And we described it in this way, that God knows me completely. And this was described in several ways. In verse 1, we saw that he knows who I am, that he knows my heart, my character. In verse 2, we, we saw that he not only knows who I am, but he knows what I do. From the simplest, most basic actions of the duties performed on a daily basis, from my lying down at night to the rising up in the morning, and everything in between, both time periods, God knows intimately what I do. Also in verse 2, we saw that he knows what I think. He knows what I think. Most private thing we have, our thoughts. The most private place we know, our mind. We can 
hide everything in our minds from anybody, including those who are most dear to us and know us the best. But we cannot hide it from the Lord. It is not private at all to our great God. It is as transparent as glass to our Heavenly Father. He knows our every thought, our every attitude. He knows all what what we are thinking. In verse 3, we were shown that He knows where I go. God discerns our paths. He discerns every dimension of our life. He discerns the wheat and the chaff. He knows every dimension. David knew that there was no circumstance, no facet of his life that God was not intimately acquainted with. No path chosen went unnoticed. And so it is with us. He knows who I am, what I do, what I think, where I go. And fifthly, he knew and he knows what I say. In verse 4, David points out that not only every word that comes out of my mouth is known by him, but he knows it before we say it, or even before we know what we're going to say, for that matter. And God enclosed us before and after us. There's no escape from his all-seeing gaze. And these thoughts put David in awe, and all of this was overwhelming for him. And it should be overwhelming to you and I as well. And I hope it is. The whole of my life, the whole of your life, has stood open to his view from the very beginning. He foresaw and sees every fall, every sin, and yet, despite all of that, he still set his love upon us. He sent his only son while we were still enemies to take the penalty of our sin on the cross, pouring out his wrath on his only begotten, so that we might be reconciled to him. So in verses 1 through 6, we saw that he, that God is omniscient, and Dave knew it all too well. Dave knew it all too well that he knew him. So let's read through Psalm 139 once more, and we'll, we'll try and plow through the rest of this as we go. We'll look at the other attributes. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, have, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And where we'll pick up today is verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If they say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. 
You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. For wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand when I awake. I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Mm, David's praise does not stop with God's omnipotence in verses 1 through 6. He knows all too well that he knows him completely. But Dave, David continues in verse 7 through 12 he says, you not only know me completely, but you are with me continually. And what we have in verses 7 through 12 is the doctrine of God's omnipresence. That is the teaching that God is present everywhere in creation. Fully present everywhere in creation. At the same time, there is nowhere in the universe where God himself is not present. Nowhere where his attention is absent. There is nowhere where one can escape the divine presence of the Almighty. In Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24, it says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man himself in hiding places Hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. The presence of God is inescapable. And David is once again overwhelmed that God is always with him. He says in verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David here asks two rhetorical questions, and he knows the answer all too well. The answer to both of which is nowhere. There's nowhere we can hide from him. Nowhere from we can go from the Holy Spirit or where we can flee from his presence. But David isn't trying to flee the presence of God. He is finding comfort in the fact that God is always with him. And David addresses some of those areas where one might think that uh, he could escape or flee from God, but he quickly dismisses each one. He says in verse 8, 
If I send to heaven, you're there. It's probably the most obvious, the, the one not many would dispute. God is in heaven. Heaven above is the eternal dwelling place of God, and he's there in a special way. And He's there. But we are unable to climb so high to be out of the reach of the Holy One. Also in verse 8, he says, If I make my bed in Shoal, behold, you are there. Shoal is a word used 66 times in the Old Testament. It is a general term used for the abode for the dead, the grave. That's the way it is mostly used. Although here it is used in contrast to heaven. But in either case, whether it is referring to Hades, hell, or the grave, uh, the psalmist is saying God's presence would be there. God's presence would be there. Proverbs 15.11 says, Shoal and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. Abaddon or the destruction refers to the experience of eternal punishment. He goes on in verse 9, he says, If I take the wings of the dawn, or if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, The dawn rises, of course, in the east. And from the location that King David was in, in Israel, the remotest part of the sea, the sea in question would have been the Mediterranean Sea. That would have been the west. So if it were possible to travel at the speed of light, with the dawn's, traveling at light speed, at dawn's early light, rather, uh, from horizon to horizon, as far as the east is from the west, there would be no escaping the divine presence of God. Heaven, grave, the grave, uh, the dawn or the sea, north, south, east, west, there is absolutely nowhere to run, nowhere to flee. I don't know why you'd want to when you know him. Anywhere of the above, David says. You, are, you cannot escape his presence. Verse 10, he says, Anywhere you go, anywhere above, any, any of these places you try to flee, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. Verse 10. Never are we beyond the divine reach of God. There is no location you can be otherwise. Nor is there any condition uh, that could put you out of his reach. In verses 11 and 12, he says, If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Lord is light in him. There is no darkness at all. We cannot even hide in the pitch black darkness from him. People pursue sin and evil uh, in the darkness, thinking they will be able to hide it from the Lord. But the darkness is like light to him. It is like broad daylight. 
This is more than him just having a flashlight. <laughs> he sees it as light. <clears throat> One writer wrote this in response in talking about our sin. We can never sin, but there will be two witnesses present to observe and register it. Our own selves and God himself. But not only that, <clears throat> in our darkest hour, in the midst of our darkest trial, God is there. And he knows all things that are occurring and he knows what his eternal purposes are in the midst of them. Even in the midst of what most would consider our darkest hour of them all on your deathbed. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 23, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Adam and Eve in Genesis tried to hide from God. Jonah tried to flee. Neither one was successful. God was there, inescapable. And what a comfort that is. What a comfort that is. It's, it's no comfort at all to the unbeliever, but to the believer, what a comfort it is to know our gracious God is there. Always. Wherever we may be, whatever we are going through, whatever trial we face. God is present with us. He's there. Incidentally, with the New Testament believer, uh, uh, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, that is not a force or a power. Uh, he's the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of Christ. And where is he? He's in you. He's in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19, when referring to sexual sin, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Purchased with a price. You do not get any closer in presence than to have the Holy Spirit in you. What a comfort it is. Well, David says, you know me completely. He, you are present with me continually. And... How does he know you completely? How is he, why is he present with you continually? And he continues on in verse 13. He says, because you made me specifically. You made me specifically. Verse 13. Before my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. 
He made you. He made me. He made us specifically. And here we have that third attribute we can look at of discussed in this psalm. God's omnipotence. That is that he is all-powerful. There is nothing, nothing he cannot do as long as it's consistent with his own character and his divine plan for creation. Of course, he can't lie. He can't sin. And that ridiculous question that's always asked, no, he can't build a rock that's so big he can't lift. But as long as it is consistent with his own character and his own divine plan for creation, he is all-powerful. He is the one who created something from nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Spoke it into existence. And here, God's power is put on display even in the divine design of pregnancy. As he planned, he produced and put together the child in the womb. He is providentially watching over the development of the baby in the womb of the mother. God's done these things. God's the one who did that. And David here praises God that he made him specifically and the purpose was known for his life before he was born. He says in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Inward parts is the word for kidneys. And it's symbolic for all his vital organs, his lungs, his heart, his liver, even his emotions and his personality. God wove him together specifically in that way. God specifically weaved you together in your mother's womb with such attention to detail that it's mind-boggling. As one writer writes, like a skilled artisan would have woven a beautiful tapestry. David knows that God is all-powerful because he's skillfully put together in his mother's womb himself, and all he can do is offer up praise to the Heavenly Father for it. He says in verse 14, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. He says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is emphatic. This is an emphatic declaration of wonder. He is in continual awe. I remember uh, first uh, one, you know, we went 11 years with no baby, and then uh, <laughs> Michelle's first ultrasound where we got to see him, it was a dot. All, all you saw was a beep, 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 the heartbeat. That's all you, and I stood there at the screen knowing who was making him, and I was, I was just completely flabbergasted. I suppose everybody is when they see it, but... Uh, to know what's behind it, to know who's did it. Children are a gift from the Lord, and you just stand in awe of how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. I'm sure you've all heard uh, fun facts about the human body, how amazing the creation of it is. It seems like the list is endless. Here was just a few regarding the senses. 
If your senses are working normally, you can feel the, your fingertips or face on your fingertips or face a pressure that depresses your skin a bare, I'm working on my math here, a four ten thousandths of an inch. You can see a small candle flame from 30 miles away on a clear, dark night if your senses are working properly. You can smell one drop of perfume diffused through a three-room apartment. And yet people decide to put on half the bottle in a small eight by ten room sometimes. But you can taste a four hundredth of an ounce ounce of table salt dissolved in 530 quarts of water. You can feel the weight of a bee's wing falling on your cheek from less than a half inch away. You can distinguish more than 300,000 different color variations. I'm assuming if you're a woman. There's only like eight if you're a guy, I think. You can gauge the direction of a sound's origin based on a... <laughs> well, what is that, three ten-thousandths? It's five over. Five decimal points over. <laughs> three ten-thousandths of a second difference in its arrival of the sound from one ear to the other. You can tell which direction it's coming from. To say we evolved from some primordial ooze or... Even on the other side, to say that the person growing inside that womb is not a life. Both of these views are destroyed when we look at the, these verses in Scripture with many others. But I know you all agree with me on that, but here's the question. Do we, do we praise God for how wonderfully made we are? I ask that because familiarity brings breeds contempt and we can become so used to having that knowledge. We lose our sense of awe sometimes. David understood that he was formed in the womb. He understood all this, but he didn't have the knowledge that we have regarding the human body. I'm sure he would have been that much more in awe as we should be. He says in verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. The frame makes the, the bones, the skeleton, its structure. It was no secret to God as David was being formed and neither was it when you were. He says, I was made in secret. So secret uh, inside the womb, not visible to any human eye. Only God knows. Only God saw it. Just as like the presence in, like his omnipresence and he is everywhere, just there is creatures swimming around in the bottom of the sea that we have no idea. We can't see them. We can't... Uh, we don't even know they're there. If we do eventually someday find them, we're in 
we're amazed that they exist. We're, but all this time, God's been the only one to have enjoyment from them. Uh, and just, just like that, in, in the womb, apart from an ultrasound, but that's not seeing it with your eyes, and it certainly is not being right there. He sees it, and he's weaving in that secret place. The depths of the earth and the secret place are a euphemism for the womb. No human eyes can lay hold of that creation. It was only he, he could see that. And he sees it, says in verse 16, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Not only has, not only had God seen me before I was born, not only has he seen my frame before it was even made, he not only knew the body of my life, but he also knows the life of your body. We all say when someone is dying, perhaps we're a little harsh when we say it sometimes, Common expression, though, uh, his days are numbered. And of course, we all know that that means he doesn't have very long to live. But the truth of the matter is, the, every person on the planet, their days are numbered. Our days are numbered. My days are numbered. And they were numbered. They were ordained for us. They were decreed by the Creator before we were even born. We can do everything in our power. We can run a couple of miles a day. <laughs> yeah. Exercise, eat well, take care of ourselves completely perfectly. And when your number is called, your number is called, and that was planned from eternity. We always say it's the guy who's jogging every day, eating vegetables, he takes great care of himself, you know, has a heart attack when he was jogging, when he was found by the guy smoking a cigarette. How'd that happen? Well, those, your days are numbered. No matter what we do, no matter what we, that's not to, that's not to, put down good stewardship of our bodies. We should, we should take care of our bodies, but our days were numbered before we were born. And that will not, that will not change no matter what we do. In Job uh, chapter 14, Chapter 14 says, Man who is born of a woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You also open your eyes on him and bring him into judgment with yourself. All who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. You're not changing the amount of days that were numbered for you. The Lord knows them, and they are set. 
And David knows that and continues to praise God for that. He says, how precious, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. David is saying, Lord, you know me completely. You are with me continually. You have made me specifically. You, O God, are infinite. Man is finite. I am so limited. You are limitless. What David knows is vast to him and beyond comprehension. In comparison to what he knows about man, about himself, he knows that if he were to do the reverse and lay out all the truths about God, they would outnumber the sand on the seashore. So what then? We have these three attributes that God runs through, or that David runs through. And then we see God's holiness and David's response to it as we close in on the end from verses 19 through 20. 19 and 20, he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me. Therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. God's enemies were David's enemies. He is so enamored by God, he's so uplifted by him, he's so precious to David. David pledges his loyalty to God. And desires that those who are against God be dealt with. David couldn't stand to have God's name blasphemed and abused. Nor could he accept those who despise God. Verses 21 and 22. He says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. Do I they have become my enemies. He hates those who hate God. He refuses to accept those who would raise themselves up in competition with the Lord. He rejects them completely. He's not staying silent. He can't stay silent. He won't uh, be neutral in that respect. He says, they're my enemies. David didn't make them his enemies. They made themselves David's enemies. To go against God was to go against David. Someone says something against our spouse, our loved one, oh, boy, we're, we're right there in defense. We, we stand up. It should be that much more to the Lord. He was burdened for God's uh, kingdom 
to move forward. And he asked that anything that lied in the way, uh, anybody that was in the way, any adversary that the Lord had, he prayed that he would remove them. And what's David's, that's David's response with concern to those who are against him and those problems in the way. But then he wants to be no hypocrite himself. He says, he kind of goes back to the beginning in this verse 23 and 24. So again, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there, any, if there be any hurtful way in me. He wants God to search him again, explore him again. Uh, we're never, we never feel the more we walk with the Lord, the more we hate our sin. Uh, maybe even, uh, how, I'm sure this has happened to you. You, you, you come to the Lord and you, you're free from some maybe devastating, terrible sin that was in your life. And as you walk closer with the Lord, as time goes by and you love him more and love him more, uh, you spend more time with him and you're in his word and something you would have said is not so bad a long time ago you hold with great disdain more than you did your past ugly sin you agree with Paul in Romans chapter 7 wretched man I am who will save me from this body of death Paul says. But he's not relying on his own examination of himself. He wants God to, who would know his heart better than anyone, he wants God to examine that and show him if there be any wicked way in him, if there be any more sin that he has to deal with. He wants to be no hypocrite. Because of the deception of our heart, Jeremiah 17, 9, he wants to be clean and he asks God to test him. Find him. Show him his sin that he might bring it to him and confess it and be clean. And he longs to follow God in a more deep way. He says, lead me in an everlasting way. That's the goal. And David's response must be ours. David pursued the Lord and so, much, so must each one of us that an infinite God would be so intimate with us. That should show us and cause us to be in constant awe and constant worship to Him. This psalm is both comforting and convicting and it should cause us to walk more humbly. So are we walking humbly? Are you walking humbly with God intimately? Do you want to? Then we need to respond as David does. We need to yield our life to him. And then we can know the God who knows us completely. Who is present with us continually. And who made us specifically. And then we can worship him eternally. You pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for who you are.
the glorious truth that, Lord, you created us, you made us. There's no, you, nothing that is too hard for you. You are, have complete knowledge of us and you are present with us continually. What comfort that is to know that we are never alone, never far from you, never out of your divine reach. Lord, help us to embrace that and write it on the walls of our heart, Lord, that we would be in constant awe and constant worship of you in everything we say and do from rising up in the morning to we lay down at night praising you for the intimate God, you are not a God who is far off, but deeply involved in each of our lives. And despite all you see and despite all you know, you still, you still sent your Son to take our place on the cross, to pour out your wrath on your Son that we might have his righteousness, the righteousness of God in him that we might live with you eternally. Father, help anyone who doesn't know that to make that uh, aware to him today. Search all of our hearts, Father. Show us, especially on a day when we partake in the Lord's Supper. Examine our hearts. Bring to our knowledge any sin we need to confess to you. Anyone we might not have to uh, ask forgiveness of and be clear of. Help our to do that this hour. We ask for your blessing on our time. Uh, we leave it to you, and uh, we pray for Pastor Joey as he preaches. We also lift up Pastor Parker this morning, as we know he's going to be preaching up in Maine. Uh, would you, with both of them, Lord, use them both mightily for his, the delivering of your word and uh, making souls uh, even come to Christ and rejoice in the intimate God we have. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.